once in a while I've heard some preachers say, you know, you're going to the wrong church if you've never heard, you know, a sermon on the candelabra in the uh, temple. We've never done that. But I'm going to teach on something today that you're going to be able to say, oh, yes, our pastor teaches on that. Today, we're going to say a little bit about UAPs and UFOs. How's that? Where are you going to hear that, huh? Uh, you, you know what those are, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that as, as our introduction. As you look at Matthew 12, we're going to be looking at verses 22 to 29, Matthew 12, 22 to 29. Okay? I would like to say thanks to Senator Marco Rubio uh, in our government who uh, released information uh, that uh, the uh, military had on UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, and UFOs, Unidentified Flying Objects. Uh, because of him, we have uh, some video from the Navy, and, oh, that's really nice. Yeah. I knew my eyes weren't working as good as they used to, but this is, this is heavenly. Okay. Thank you for that. All right. Uh, he wanted information on the uh, real phenomena, uh, threats to the U.S., and he requested detailed analysis of the findings in this area by the United States Navy. And it was authorized by what is called the Intelligence Authorization Act for fiscal year 2021. The United States Navy then acknowledged having video of UFOs and UAPs uh, and encounters, uh, uh, videos in encounters with these uh, flying craft by Navy pilots from the year 2004 uh, and for some reason only runs up to 2015. I don't know why, but that's where they have their videos of. Some of you have seen those on newsreels and on television. They are real. The report pub was published in June the 25th, 2021. The conclusion that we have drawn as a nation is that we are not alone. And we, are, uh, we have the footage of these various flying machines uh, to prove that we are not alone. And there is a growing popularity of belief in extraterrestrial beings in our, in our world today. And it is all coming out of the closet. Uh, I like to watch a show called Skinwalker Ranch where they have these things constantly. And they seem to go through wormholes and things like that and portals. Because they're there one minute and then they're gone the next. Uh, I would invite you to listen to that for the, for the proof of UFOs and UAPs, but not the language and some of the conclusions that they have, okay? Uh, it's, it's appearing in movies, it appears in TV shows and books everywhere, and I would think that I would be safe in saying that the world is accepting of beings from space invading our planet and looking out for uh, guiding our planet to a helpful course for the earth dwellers. Now I just made a change there. I went from these things are real and we have footage of it. I went from that to talking about the purpose for these. And what we're hearing in the world, I'm talking about the secular world, is that the purpose for these things is that there are beings and they are of a higher intelligence than any intelligence we know. They're looking at the earth and they're trying to identify what is the problem the earth is having. And the answer is, the problem the earth has, the reason it can't advance, the reason it can't be what they want it to be, is because of Christianity. And I've heard that over and over and over. 
And so they believe that these beings have come to earth to look over everything and to decide what the problem is. And they also believe that one of these days they're going to remove the Christians from the earth so that we will get out of their way because we are the problem. We're standing in the way of advancement. And I thought, what a, what a great way for the world to be able to describe what happened in a rapture uh, when all of a sudden we're all gone. And they say, oh, well, we know who did that. Thank goodness the aliens took us out of the way so we can get on with our program. Okay, so what, what the world does not know about these UAPs and UFOs and uh, these demons and skinwalkers and all that stuff like that, that they are demons and it is demonic deception that takes people, people and their focus off of the true God and gets them to have faith in these that are not gods. I believe in the coming rapture, it will be attributed to aliens having removed Christians for the good of the world because we are a blight on the world and we're a cancer in the world and they're hoping somebody would remove us. They think the aliens know that Christians stand in the way of true global progress and they did the world a favor by removing us. Satan and his demons have been around since the beginning of time, and they are still around today. Do you believe that they are? Do you believe that they are real? And all I can say, if you don't believe they're real, is to say to you that uh, apparently the Savior that we worship did believe they were real, and he dealt with them just like he's going to do it today. So let's look at our text in Matthew chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse uh, 22 here. Now, um, this is uh, all about, uh, we, we just came off the heels of how Jesus was kind, and Jesus was trying to reach people, and that's the way he came the first time. The second time, it's not going to be that way. But on the heels of that, uh, there's, I think, another test from the Pharisees and the scribes. But in verse 22, it says, Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus. Now, I, the video was the best I could find. I don't believe Jesus had long hair, so I don't think that's right. I don't think they were talking in King James English either. Uh, but, uh, but you got the gist of it, right? You got, you got the main idea out of all that, all right? A demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, so he's got to have somebody guide him, was brought to Jesus. And he, that is Jesus, healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw. So we see a complete healing in three ways. He lost the demon, now he can see, and now he can speak. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? All right, so there's this great miracle that takes place. The scribes and Pharisees are there to attack Jesus. They don't want, they don't want people to believe in Jesus. All of a sudden, after this miracle, pretty hard to deny. The guy can see now and he can talk. And they're starting to hear the people say, hey, is this the son of God? Is this the Messiah? You think they want to hear that? You think the, the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes are happy about that? Absolutely not. They don't want people thinking that this man is the Messiah. So when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man casts out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Now, Satan has a lot of different names. Uh, devil, uh, the accuser, Lucifer, son of the morning, stuff like that. But here he's called Beelzebul, which stands for the ruler of the demons. So in the demonic world, they do have a ruler, and his name is Satan. I think devil, the devil is the same as that. And so they're saying, hey, listen up, people, before you go off on a tangent here and think that Jesus is a Messiah, you need to know 
that what he just did here, he's doing by the power of Satan, the ruler of the demons. Verse 25, and knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Now you need to understand there was silence in the audience, right? Because there's not a good answer to that. The only thing they could say is, well, that's not going to happen because Satan's not going to destroy his own kingdom. Verse 27, if I, Jesus speaking by Beelzebul, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Tell me that. For this reason, they will be your judges. They know more about what's going on than you do. And if they're casting out uh, the, the demons by Beelzebul, I guess you've got your own problems as well. Verse 28. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, and in your Bible, in your translation, that word Spirit should be capitalized because it's talking about the Holy Spirit. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you, meaning you should listen to me. Verse 29 says, Or how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? Now Jesus said, that's my ministry, that's what I came to do, and that's what's going to happen. And we want to be on Jesus' side because uh, in the end we know he wins. Well, let's look at this in a little more detail. Now, my point for verses 22 and 23 is more exegetical than it is homiletical. Uh, it's just a description of what's taking place here in our verses 22 and 23 that we just read. But it, it's teaching us this, that Jesus completely healed a demonized mute a blind man, to the amazement of the crowds who asked if he could possibly be the Messiah. Could this possibly be uh, the Son of David, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Anointed One? And that's going to make the uh, religious leaders upset because they don't like Jesus. So in the first part of verse 22, uh, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute is brought to Jesus. Now, Bible students uh, think that this was another setup by the Pharisees and the scribes to trap Jesus. They are constantly trying to trap him. Why not? I mean, it makes sense, okay? Somebody had to get the guy there. Somebody had to tell him where he was, and somebody had to get him in front of Jesus. So it's probably all set up there. Now, we don't know that someone brought him to Jesus for healing, but it would seem that was the case. But maybe it's more the test. It doesn't say. Healing, it does. We really don't know who did that, but we wouldn't put it past the religious leaders of that day to have orchestrated another test so they could trap Jesus. The blind man, and who was also mute, uh, had these two physical maladies that are causing him to not be able to see or to speak, right? And he also has in him the presence of a hostile demon. What's inside of him? What's inside of him is a, an angelic being who went against God, whom God kicked out of heaven with Satan, and Satan became their ruler, and this demon is a fallen angel, an angel that rebelled against God, said, God, I want nothing to do with you, and I'm going to follow Beelzebul, and we're going to wreak havoc, and we want the world to worship us, not God. That's, that's what's happening here in this, in this position. So this man has been infiltrated, he's been demonized by this evil spirit. So he's got three things wrong with him. He can't speak, he can't hear, and he also has a demon dwelling in him. The man is blind and mute, and he's also demonized. There are often cases of disease 
that are caused by malevolent demonic spirits. The Apostle Paul had one, except it wasn't from a lowly demon. It was from Satan himself. And if you want to look at that in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 9. Listen to what Paul says. Now Paul was just telling them about a fact that God caught him up into heaven. He saw wonderful things in heaven. He saw things, he said, I saw things that I can't describe. I heard things that, that man is not able to be able to talk about. And so uh, this is a great thing that happened, but he says in verse 7, 2 Corinthians 12, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, he's talking about that which he just saw in heaven, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, you get it? To keep me humble, to keep me from being prideful where I shouldn't be, uh, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, in other words, a physical problem, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Why? Why, Jesus? Why, Jesus, would you let this happen to me? Why would you let this enemy come to me? What's going on anyway? Well, he has the answer, to keep me from exalting myself. Really? <laughs> is pride that big of an issue to God? Yes, it is. And so God sends Paul this messenger of Satan, notice that, to keep him from uh, being exalting himself, I should say, and he says, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And God's plan was to bring Paul to a state of weakness so God's greatness could be shown. So Paul accepted it. And he said, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Is it true today that some people's sicknesses are as a result of demonic uh, takeover or, or demonization? The answer is yes, it is. Does that still happen today? Yes, it does. Is every sickness that? No, it isn't. And so there are some sicknesses that are just you're sick because you're just sick and you caught some virus or something like that or some bacteria. And there's other sickness that is promoted by Satan himself. And it may be that God has allowed that to happen to teach us something like he did Paul. It may also be just a test of our faith. The point is, it does happen. Uh, medical people have seen it, and most of the time they just don't know what to do with it. Uh, not true with our doctors here. They do know. In verse 22b, Jesus heals the man without incident, and he is freed from the physical issues as well as the spiritual issue of the presence of the demon in him. Now, uh, it will not be uh, the tongue of the man or the eyes that cause the focus of the Pharisees to be drawn to that miracle. It's going to be the spiritual demonic part that they pick up on. Why? Well, I think because it's so hard to deny something that happened. I mean, it really did happen. They were, he, the guy was healed, so why bother denying that? Let's talk about something that people can't really see that well. Let's talk about the demon. So the issue for the Pharisees is this. Whose power is behind this healing? And by the way, friends, that's a fantastic question. Because there are people that get so desperate in the world, they turn to occultic things, or they turn to people that are of the occult, or they turn to people who aren't really Christians who push the occult, and people get healed from that because there's real demonic power for healing in those things, but they've been healed by Satan. And I've run into that a few times in my ministry where somebody accepted the healing of Satan, and uh, they renounced it, and they were sick again, the part they didn't like. 
But do you want healing from an enemy? Do you want healing from Satan? No, we don't. If God doesn't give us the healing, then we don't want it. If God gave us the healing, we do want it. But that's, that's something that we have to be careful of uh, because it, it's a possibility. And the issue for the Pharisees is, whose power did we just see? And their answer is uh, uh, what, we, what we talked about. We'll say some more about that in a minute. In verse 23, the crowds were absolutely astonished at what had happened before their eyes. It's a big deal. I mean, uh, you know, if you're standing there and they bring in a guy, he's demon, demonized and he's blind and he's mute and he can't do anything, and Jesus just reaches out and heals him, all of a sudden he can speak, all of a sudden, you know, he can hear, and everything is going well, and he's in his right mind. He's in his right mind. And there is an emphatic negative response from the crowds that Matthew records. Negative in terms of what the Pharisees are thinking they want. The Pharisees want a, a different outcome. The crowds were absolutely astonished. And this is an emphatic negative response as far as the Pharisees can tell about what the people are saying. It would be like, this surely can't be the son of David, could it? The son of David is another way to referring to the Messiah. So the people are getting all, all hyped up about this could be the Messiah, and the Pharisees want to shut it down. Most assuredly, the Pharisees heard the mumblings among the people and wanted to put a stop to that kind of thinking. Let's don't let this go on. And they were positive that Jesus was not the Messiah. And the truth is, they were positively wrong. He was the Messiah. It's kind of an amazing situation to find in this whole country. For the most part, the religious leaders of the country are leading people away from the truth and leading people away from God. And friends, that's happening uh, all across the world in, in pulpits all around the world every day. In verse 24, we learn that the Pharisees attribute the miracle of Jesus to satanic power. So as soon as the Pharisees heard the people talking like this and possibly saying Jesus is, you know, the Messiah, they sprang into action with a rebuttal uh, in terms of him being the Messiah. Their official stance was that Jesus just cast out a demon for sure. They didn't, they didn't argue with that, but he did it by the power of Beelzebul. He did it by the power of Satan, all right? The prince or ruler of demons, Satan, the devil, Lucifer. They're saying that he did this by this evil power that is obviously our enemy. None of, us, none of us like him, right? That's where Jesus gets his power. And in doing so, they're blasphemous with the statement that Jesus does his exorcisms by the power of Satan. That's blasphemy. You're attributing to the work of God the work of Satan. Jesus doesn't, uh, doesn't work by means of Satan. That has never been the case. It never will be the case. He doesn't. He works against Satan. That's why he's there. He is plundering Satan's house. And that's why he ended this section the way he did in verse 29. I, I didn't come here to promote it. I came here to plunder it. And so uh, that reminds us of our 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, uh, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they cannot see the truth of God and his gospel. The little g God of this world is Satan, and he blinds the minds of the people so that they cannot understand the gospel of Christ. That's what his job is. That's what Satan does. That's what he's doing all the time. 
He also helps people not listen to sermons and not listen to Bible on the radio and not be able to read their scripture. Sometimes people read the Bible and they read a paragraph and they have no idea what they read. And they have to read it over and over and they keep getting lost. They keep thinking about other things. Now, a lot of times that's because of a result of too much stress in your life. You're dissociating. But sometimes it's the enemy keeping you from understanding and keeping you from, from reading what the word of God is. Let me tell you something else that happens because of demons. Sometimes people are sitting in a service and they think they hear the pastor say something that he never said. And there's been times, you know, when, when I do the, the uh, Dr. Howard Hendricks calls it the glorification of the worm ceremony, where we're at the back and I'm shaking hands with everybody, you know, just the worm. Uh, he, he, uh, he tells us that, and we can see it, that there are people that are not hearing the sermon that's being preached. I can look out and I can see a glassy-eyed person, and they're staring straight ahead. You're going to get self-conscious. Just relax, okay? A glassy-eyed person staring straight ahead, and they're not hearing a thing I'm saying, and then they'll walk out and they'll say, I really thought it was good when you said this or that, and I uh, am saying, I never said that. That never came out of my mouth. And if you don't believe it, go back and watch the tape. It's not there. Or they'll uh, say something that uh, I really disagreed with when you said this, and I I didn't say that either. Where are you getting that? Well, the enemy's at work. He wants to keep us blinded from the truth. And so uh, it, it's real and it has to be taken care of. And the only one who can take care of it is Jesus. So they planted in the minds of the people, the Pharisees did and the scribes, just how wrong they were in their thinking. This can't be the Messiah. That's what they want him to think. And the implication from them meant that he used witchcraft or was a sorcerer of some kind who relied on the power of Satan to do this miracle. They didn't deny the miracle. They just said, well, yeah, scratch your head here. Just a minute. think about this. He did this by Satan's power. They denied that it was a work of God. And by the way, it is wrong for us to look at somebody who is doing a work of God, and we call it the work of Satan. If it really isn't Satan's work and it is God's work, we can be in, in trouble with God for that. Now, next week, we're going to learn what the consequences are for attributing to Satan what really God has done. And you'll have to wait till next week till we get to that. Now, verses 25 to 28. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. Now, how will his kingdom stand? See, Satan does have a kingdom. It's this earth. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And uh, he's ruling right now. And it's dark out there. And Satan doesn't like the light. We were sent as lights into the dark kingdom of Satan, lights in this world. He goes on to say, if by Beelzebul I cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason they will be your judges. And then verse 28, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, my Bible is not in your notes, but I've written a lot of verses to show that the Spirit of God is the one that drives Jesus. And you don't have these, but I just want you to know they're available, like Isaiah 11.2, John 3.34, Isaiah 42.1, Luke 4.14, Acts 2.22, and many, many more. Jesus is empowered by the Spirit of God, not by Satan. So we, we see here in, these pas in this passage, it is spiritually and logically absurd to believe that Jesus' miracles were not accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. It's just, it's just craziness. Rest assured that Satan has real power. I, I would never deny that. 
Satan has genuinely real power, miraculous power. He can do things that we would say, oh, that's, that's only God could do that. No, uh, they can do a lot too. Rest assured that Satan has real power that is miraculous in the eyes of men and women. Matthew 24, 24. Matthew 24, 24. He says, for false Christs, false messiahs, and false prophets will arise and will show, look at this, the false ones will show great signs, and that means great attesting miracles and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Even the elect. And that's what Satan's always trying to do, lead us away from God. I want to say again that uh, there are people that when someone dies, they think their relative came back to check on them. And that's not your relative as a ghost. That's a demon, a familiar spirit that is acting like your relative. And the whole point of that is exactly what the point is here, to get you to stop focusing on the living God for all your help and your strength and for your power and start getting you to focus on this person that supposedly is there that isn't there. It's a demon. And so you need to rebuke that and get rid of that. God does not send your relative back to check on you. He doesn't need them to check on you. He already knows all about you and me. And he'll send us the strength that we need, either through one of his good angels or by himself. And people seem to take comfort in that. Don't take comfort in that. That is not of God. And so these people are trying to get the, the, these folks to look away from Jesus and focus on something that isn't true. And that's always one of Satan's tricks. We, we are the kind of people, you and I, that will not accept any miracle from a demon as being good for us. Even if it is a healing or it's a ghost or uh, some fantastic ability to stretch, apparently. Talking about yoga. 2 Corinthians 11.14 says Satan masquerades as a, as, a, as a light angel, but he's not. As, as a bringer of truth, but he's not. As somebody that's pure, but he's not. Well, in verse 25, Jesus knew what they were thinking about. He knew their motives, and he speaks the truth that is irrefutable. A kingdom or a city or a house that is divided against itself will not be able to stand. It will be torn apart by those in that kingdom, and then it won't be a kingdom. Does it really make sense that Satan would take back ground in a person that he has gained? Never, not unless he has to. Why would he destroy his own kingdom? Well, he wouldn't. Demonization promotes Satan's program for the world. He's not going to take a demon out of a person unless he has to. In verse 26, if Jesus were empowered by Satan to cast out demons, then Satan would be destroying his own house. And Jesus says, can you understand that? Isn't it absurd to think that I'm doing that? Satan is evil. He is vile. He is wicked. He is a liar. But he isn't so ignorant that he would work to destroy himself. I guarantee that. He and his demons are pretty much all about promoting themselves. I guarantee that. In verse 27a, the second great point Jesus makes is his defense uh, in this question. They have implied that the power to cast out demons comes from Satan. Jesus says, then, who are your sons casting them out by? Where are they getting their power? In the second part of verse 27, Jesus wants to know whose power their sons are using then when they do this ministry, if that's the case. Now, to change the metaphor a little bit, the ball is in their own backyard. All right? 
It may be that some Jewish exorcists were Pharisaical as well, so this would hit home to them. Uh, a place that we can see that is Acts 19. And I want to read verses 13, probably through 20. Acts 19, 13 to 20. But also some Jewish exorcists, so these are guys, their ministries to cast out demons, uh, who went from place to place, attempted to name over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. <laughs> okay, see, if you don't know Jesus, perhaps your ministry shouldn't be exorcism. Okay? You can't use, listen to this, you can't use Jesus' name as a lucky rabbit's foot. It isn't. All right? And sometimes we as Christians try that, you know? Uh, in the name of Jesus. Uh, make sure you have the, the authority and the right to say that before you do. And in the situation, it's right. But anyway, they're saying, hey, you demons, uh, we're going to try this today. By the name of Jesus and Paul, get out of this person. These are the seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest. They were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, this is something you don't want to hear, uh, listen up, boys. I recognize Jesus. I know about Paul. But who are you? Who are you? They don't have a relationship with Jesus. That means right now they're nobody in front of this demon. And the man in whom the evil spirit was, who is now supernaturally empowered by the spirit with great strength, leapt on them and subdued them all and overpowered them, you know, all seven of them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all. Uh, it's one of your great failures. You don't want it all over town, but there it is. Both Jews and Greeks who live in Ephesus and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices, meaning their demonic evil practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together, and they began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. People spend a lot of money on uh, satanic paraphernalia and books. And none of it is any good for any of us. So let's be careful. The name of Jesus is not a lucky rabbit's foot. If Satan is empowering exorcists, then he has to be empowering their sons as well. That's Jesus' point. They're not going to stand out there and say, oh yeah, that's what our sons are doing. Not going to admit that. If Jesus is casting out demons by the power of the Spirit of God, on the other hand, which he is, then the people are right in, uh, they are right in, a, in a situation that Jesus wants them to know where they're at, and they are right in the coming of the kingdom. And Jesus is the Messiah. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism, and the Spirit is the one whose power is used for Jesus' miracles. And uh, that's, that's uh, what he says in verse 28. You want to know how I cast out demons? You want to know how I'm kicking the strong man out of his own house? I'm stronger than he is. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. And he showed his dependence on God by relying on the power of the Spirit. Get this, okay? The same Holy Spirit that indwells you for your ministry indwelled Jesus for his power, and he did it because... He wanted to show the power of the Spirit of God on people's lives, and he also wanted to show our dependence 
on God for everything that we do. And that's where we come across in Ephesians, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. Paul said, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as of a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So God highly exalts him. Now understand, Jesus humbled himself when he took on our flesh. He emptied himself, uh, divested himself of relying on his own power. Please listen. He did not, he did not give up his deity. That emptying had nothing to do with giving up his deity. He was fully God and fully man. What he emptied himself was and humbled himself was to the submission of the Father and to allow the Spirit of God to work in his life. Sounds like what we're supposed to be doing, right? Submit to God, rely on his power in our life. Hey, we're learning good stuff here this morning. If you didn't know that, I'm telling you we are. In verse 28, since that is the case, the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is the first time Matthew in his book doesn't use the phrase kingdom of heaven and where he instead switches to using the kingdom of God. In a yet-to-be-full-blown way, talking about the kingdom, it's not, it's not physically here yet, but it, but it is present. The kingdom of God came when Jesus was baptized it will be solidified when he comes in the second coming and sets up his literal kingdom. That's what makes us premillennial. This means accepting him for who he is is critical, critical to salvation. You can't get to heaven with any other Jesus but this one. And there's lots of cults and false prophets that make up a different Jesus. It's got to be the, the Jesus of the Bible, right? I was hoping someone would say right, but that's okay. All right. In verse 29, Jesus is infinitely stronger than Satan and all his forces. Man, I hope you believe that. Because it's true. We have nothing to fear. How could Jesus kick Satan out of his own house and take what, it, what used to belong to him? Well, it is because he is God, and Satan is merely a created being a powerful being, a cherub-class angel, who will be defeated by one little word from Jesus. <laughs> this guy that creates all the ruckus, has created all these problems still, accusing you before the throne on a daily basis, right now today. This one, all Jesus has to say is, you're done to the lake of fire with you, and wham, it's done. Michael, in chapter 13 of Revelation, is going to be given the power. This is one cherub against another cherub. Remember the last time that Michael mixed it up with Satan over the body of Moses? All Michael did was say, may the Lord rebuke you, Satan. But he's going to get the power in Revelation 12 and 13 to bind Satan and throw him in the abyss for a thousand years during the millennial kingdom. Now I'm second-guessing myself. It's in 12 or 13, uh, one of those chapters. Just make it a It's in Revelation. No, it's 12 or 13. And he's going to be bound by him and cast in the abyss because of Jesus' power. 
Jesus binds Satan, the strong one, because he's infinitely stronger than Satan. Our foe is defeated, but he's still running around and doing some work God allows him to do. And that is how Jesus is able to do this, to kick a hostile demonic angel out of a man. Jesus is sovereign over physical and, and the spiritual world. And there's a couple of things that I'd like you to know. Uh, we were talking about these verses in my Sunday school class this morning. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, as an illustration. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath and thereby give a place to the devil, a room to the devil. So, friends, our biggest problem is our sin. We take care of our sin, then Satan can't take a, a ground in us. If we already have sin, we repent of our sin, and we ask the Lord to remove the enemy out of our flesh, not our spirit. Satan can't possess your spirit, okay? So we need to remember to take back the ground we gave to the enemy. Stay clean with God. Keep your accounts short with God. And then you don't have to go through some of these things. And the other one is 1 John 4, 1 to 4. And I'm so tickled because I looked up and I have time to actually read that. So we're going to. Uh, 1 John 4, 1 to 4. Listen to what he says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. One of the biggest problems with charismatic churches today is they just take whatever somebody says and they say, oh, well, they said it came from God. It must have come from God. Not necessarily. Somebody needs to test it. Uh, not only in this place, but also when Paul's going through in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, the gifts of the Spirit, the charismatic gifts of the Spirit, which I personally believe have ceased, and uh, God can do anything he wants to do. He could do a miracle if he wants to, but I believe those miraculous sign gifts were not given out as a gift anymore. And right in the middle of that, he says, let these prophesy or speak in tongues, and then you judge what is said. It says it right in that passage. You judge it. See if it came from God. And the chances are there's enemies involved in some of that, and some of that stuff that is said did not come from God, so you better not believe it. So he says, test the spirits. Don't believe every spirit. Don't believe every person that says I'm speaking for God. But test the spirits to see if whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. Okay? Uh, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which is already you have heard, and that it is coming, and it now already is in the world. Now, here's, here's the point I want you to get. My Sunday school class got some different stuff, but let me add this in verse 4. You are from God, little children. All right, when I'm thinking about the spiritual warfare, when I'm thinking about all this stuff, okay, could be scary, right? John addresses this to little children. I don't need to be some big tough guy. I can be just like a little child, like some of our little children in here who know Christ. He says, listen, little children, you're from God. Now, what that means is everything. I'm on God's side. I'm from God. God is with me. God cares about me. God loves me. He's going to watch out for me. And it's all true. And he says, the reason you can do that, he says, because you're from God, you've overcome them, them meaning the false prophets, the false teachers, the demonic world. Because, why, why is that true? Because, look at it, greater is he who is in you, meaning the Spirit of God, 
than he who is in the world. Than he who is in the world. And that spirit of God goes with you all day, every day. Now, if we sin, we're not going to be used of God. We could open a door to the enemy in our flesh. But if we keep short accounts with God and we walk with God, then there's no reason why the power of the Spirit of God won't, won't flow through you and assist you and help you and hold you up and do whatever you need to accomplish the ministry that he's given you. Don't forget it. Now, uh, some applications, and then I'll be done. Number one, we love and serve the one who has complete dominance over all demons. We just read about that, right? Don't, don't get that wrong. You serve the one who's in control. Secondly, Jesus started a wholesale, a wholesale assault on the kingdom of darkness, and one day he will completely annihilate it along with its lying leader. We look forward to that day. Thirdly, Jesus can free people from demonic control if they yield in faith to him, clean up their sin by the power of his blood through faith. And then finally, those who demonize Jesus and his work, like the Pharisees, will not be saved. That's not us. We believe he is the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Messiah, right? All right, let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we live in days that are growing darker and darker as the, the kingdom of Satan is growing. And we know we are in the last days. What I would like to ask you to help us to do is not that we don't know what to do. We do know what to do. But would you please give us the strength through the Spirit of God to in all things be faithful. I ask it in your precious and holy name. Amen.